0: Evidence and answers. Is America a Christian nation or a nation built on Christian principles? What is the difference? Should Christians engage in politics? Is Christian nationalism a term and ideology Christians should embrace? What does the Bible say about the follower of Christ and his relationship to country? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat and his guest, Dr. Randy Manley, pastor of Molokai Baptist Church, began a discussion about Christian nationalism. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up Christian Nationalism. You can download it or listen online. Now, let's conclude this informative interview.
1: An atheist, they have a worldview. I haven't heard the term atheist nationalism, but they certainly are approaching their politics from their worldview uh, that's anti-God. So, you know, again, it's just interesting that these types of terms are directed and targeted toward only certain types of groups that have a certain type of outlook on where things should be. And certainly I think that a large majority of evangelical Christians would say, yes, our nation was founded on Christian principles. It gave us the solid laws and things that we have profited from all these years, and we should continue on that path and move in that direction. That's not to say that everybody should be forced to be a Christian. Nobody else should be able to practice their faith the way that, that they see fit. It's just acknowledging the reality that we are a nation that was founded on Christian principles, and our worldview, our understanding of reality is that this is good and right, and we want to move in that direction.
2: Yeah, I I would say that we are not, quote, a Christian nation in that Christians have priority and everyone else who's not a Christian then is going to be secondary in that sense. But I would agree with you there, definitely, that we are indeed a nation built on Christian principles and the influence of the Judeo-Christian ethics and the Bible is, you know, undeniable in our history. And it's part of the foundation that really made America a great nation. The, the freedom and dignity of all individuals. You know, with inalienable rights that come not from government or man, but from God, that every human life is valid. That's definitely a Christian principle, that all men are are free to believe and even disagree on what they believe because they have dignity and will not be forced to Mm. believe in Christianity. But we think Mm. that is the best and we'll true faith and we will debate it and present the evidence and why the Christian moral system is the best out there, I believe, is what we do. But to say that, uh, you know, we need to force people to embrace Christianity or things, I don't think that was the intent of the Founding Fathers. But definitely, we were a nation built on Christian principles, and that's undeniable, wouldn't you say?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you only have to look as far as picking up a piece of money, you know, and In God We Trust is imprinted on there. That, again, it's, it's just part of the DNA of our nation. And to deny that is to deny just historical reality.
2: Yeah, and and I think as Christians, we believe those who have embraced God's law is the best for a nation, and a nation will be blessed who follow the design and the law of the designer, wouldn't yes. you say?
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, it's kind of ironic, Pat, if you stop and think about it, we wouldn't even be having this debate if we weren't in a country that believes that every person is created in god's image and has value and worth and as a result of that should be free to speak even ideas that we may not agree with we're having this conversation right now because we live in that kind of country that's based on these kind of values and principles
2: right now let's talk about should christians then engage in politics should they
1: Yeah, I think part of being a good citizen, right, is engaging politically, especially in a country like America, because we're given this amazing freedom to do things like vote. We're a representative uh, republic where we vote for people that will represent us on the federal end of things. And so we have this amazing privilege and gift to be involved politically and voting, you know, that's about as basic a political engagement as you can have. I think that as part of our responsibility to be good citizens, we should desire to see our government, our culture be the best that it can be. And so we will vote for individuals that we believe will carry that out. So as followers of Christ, we're not to shrink away from being salt and light, right? Right we're supposed to be a part of that process in, in every way that we can. And certainly in this country, we're given the freedom to do that by voting, by being involved with political campaigns, those types of things. So it's not a problem for us to be involved as Christians politically. In fact, I would even argue that part of being a good citizen is at least minimally being involved politically.
2: Yeah, you know, Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 talks about us being in subject to government authorities and that they are placed there by God. And Paul writes in verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue is owed, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor is owed. I think applying that verse, Paul was writing in a totalitarian kind of dictatorship there where the emperor ruled. But I think applying that in a democracy that we have here, or a constitutional republic to be more technical, that we have here, when Paul says, you know, pay to all what is owed them, I think in Mm -hmm. a constitutional republic like ours, one of the things that we owe government is our participation, you know, and one of that is responsible voting. So I think Mm -hmm. in applying passages that we find there in the Bible, you know, part of being a good citizen in a democracy is participating in a way in which you can glorify God and be an influence for truth and righteousness.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you.
2: Yeah, you know, Um, but what, what I'm finding in a lot of churches is that they don't want pastors or anyone to even touch the subject that may have any kind of political connection at all I mean, if you speak on something like abortion or anything, you know, that may have a, any kind of political connection. I remember when the Black Lives Matter riots were coming out here, I talked about just very briefly that this is not a movement we want to engage in, and here's why And I presented the ideology and how it contradicts the Bible. I got uh, irate people saying we shouldn't be political. Mm. We shouldn't be political. You know, I was mm. at another church where the pastor spoke on critical theory and how that has been divisive in the culture and in the church and the biblical critique of it and a biblical response and boy he got you know a lot of emails and irate angry people saying we're getting political we're getting political kind of things and and i'm seeing a lot of that uh, in churches are you seeing that as well
1: yeah the sad thing again we tend to unfortunately even in the christian community we tend to take our cues from you know, the culture and what's going on and what we're told we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And when moral issues, especially big moral issues, come up for discussion or debate, we're not supposed to touch it because, you know, that's the church is supposed to stay separate from the state, supposedly. And so there's this idea that as Christians, as church folk, You know, you do your thing, let the government do their thing. And we hear things, you know, we've heard this for years, you can't legislate morality and those kind of things. Well, every law technically hits on some moral issue. You know, and when we're talking about things, for instance, you brought up abortion, we talk about something like abortion. How can Christian folks stay silent when it deals with the very most basic fundamental gift that God's given us, and that's the gift of life. We have to speak out. Things like sexuality, again, there's basic truths about what God has given us through being the creator and designer, how can we not speak out about those things? Those are fundamental functions of who we are as human beings. And so I think to go ahead and swallow what the world's telling us, that's political and you can't Talk about that is to really lose an opportunity to be light at a very dark time stand up and say whoa wait a minute no this is not good this is not right in fact I would argue that if we don't do that that we're not being very loving love desires best for the object loved right if we say we love our fellow man if we say we love our fellow citizen we say we love our country, our desire should be for the best for them, and God's way is always the best. And so if we don't speak out on these things that are causing damage and destruction and harm to people, then can we really say that we're loving our brother the way we're supposed to?
2: Yeah, right. Paul talks about in in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about speak the truth in love. And so the two go hand in hand. It's not all love, therefore I'll I'll do anything not to uh, offend you because the commands of Christ may hurt your feelings. No, the two go hand in hand. Truth and love, we present the truth even if it may offend or hurt, but we do it not in arrogance or in a condescending way, but the best way we can in love, you know, to the best of our ability, demonstrating Christ-like love as we present the truth just like what you said there.
1: In fact, Pat, Titus, we just recently went through a study of the book of Titus in our church, and it's very interesting that Paul was writing this letter to this church leader, Titus, uh, on the island of Crete. If you study a little bit of the history of Crete, the culture there kind Mm -hmm. of mirrors some of the things that we're dealing with in our culture today. Good point. And Mm -hmm. Paul was encouraging Titus as a church leader to teach folks how to deal with the culture that they were living in and it's a very small book three chapters but when you get to chapter three paul says this remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers they should be obedient always ready to do what is good we so were given this command in scripture as citizens living in tough times to do the good and the good by God, who is the author and the source of all good. And so we get our cues as we deal with politics and government, not from a political party, but from our God who desires us to do good.
2: Yeah, and I think you make a good point. There's a balance there. You know, the Church is called, first and foremost, you know, to make disciples. That's what we're called to do, to preach the gospel and make disciples of Christ. And so there's a balance there. Government is not our hope. The church is not called to be a government or a political party, but to make disciples. But then step two, you know, disciples live in this world. Disciples live here in the United States, and so they should live out their faith as they engage the culture around them, whether it be in business or in parenting or in education. And so when it comes to government and politics we're not called to throw our christian faith aside or completely remove ourselves we're called to be disciples in the realm of government and vote and participate in a way that is consistent with our faith
1: amen yeah and i think important to that again pat you mentioned it already but i think it's just really vital especially in the climate that we're in right now in our culture is to emphasize that we're supposed to do this in a tone of love. It's not about a yelling match to see if I can drown you out. My motivation needs to be a love for God and a love for people. And so as I involve myself in the political realm, even if it's just simply who I vote for, there needs to be this driving force of what is the most loving thing to do. How can I best point people, to point my country toward the good? Because that's the most loving thing.
2: Yeah, and also another point you brought out, you know, Paul states in 2 Corinthians 10:5, we demolish all arguments and every pretension mm-hmm. that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ, taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And so the ideas out there that dominate the culture often stand opposed to Christ and that's something the Christian and Christian leaders those ideas that dominate the culture something especially if they oppose the gospel of Christ then that is something the Christian leader is called upon to address and take on and as Paul says you know demolish those arguments uh, with the truth of the gospel you know of Christ So, you know, pastors and leaders are called to engage ideas that are out there, whether they're coming from the media or from the government.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's the thing that stands out to me about that particular passage is we're called to demolish ideas, not people. Right. We're to attack the issue, not the individual. And we have to be careful because in the climate that we're in right now, there's a lot of attacking people. And that's not what we're called. We're called to get the truth to people. We're called to love people, and demolish ideas, but not demolish people.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, now, uh, we'll just touch on this briefly because we've done whole shows on it. But I think we have to touch on it since we're talking about this. Well, some people say, well, remember, separation of church and state, separation of church and mm. state. So the church should never touch anything that has a hint of being political. Well, what was mm. that? separation clause all about it just explain to us what that meant just briefly
1: yeah and I know you have tackled this patent and a great job with it on other shows but the the truth of the matter is that's not even the term separation of church and state doesn't come from any of our official documents it came Mm -hmm. from a letter from Thomas Jefferson and basically if you read the context of the letter even what he was saying is we don't want government to step into the church right but it's been turned around to be used just the opposite. Hey, the church needs to stay out of government. Well, what that's been interpreted to mean is that anything that looks even remotely religious or biblical needs to be taken out of government. Well, number one, that's impossible. right? Because again, when you're dealing with moral issues, and especially when you're dealing with a form of government that was founded on biblical views, To deal with these moral issues, that's really impossible. But the reality is we've taken that turn and we've turned it upside down. The goal of our founding fathers was that the government not step into the affairs of the church. That was very important in their minds that that be established. But that did not mean that the church would not influence the government in any way.
2: Right. I think Dr. Richard Land, whose PhD, is in this arena, has been on our show. He said, you know, the, this, quote, separation clause can only be violated by the government. You know, the church and individuals yeah. cannot violate this. That's something that needs to be understood. Isn't that correct?
1: That's right. That, that's exactly right. And yes, he's he's done a fantastic job in bringing some of these things to the forefront. But, but that's true. And we're seeing more and more of, people using that to try to stifle the voice of Christianity in our current debate.
2: Yeah, and the guy that wrote it, Thomas Jefferson, grabbed his Bible and attended church there at our nation's capital. There, and in yeah. fact, even wrote a bill to fund missionaries to the mm-hmm. Kaskaskian Indians there. So the way it's being defined, as you said, is really a misrepresentation of what he had intended in that, quote, separation clause.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, context is everything,
2: right? Yeah. Well, then, you know, Randy, what does the Bible say about the follower of Christ and his relationship to country? I mean, we hear a lot about, well, you know, we're not a citizen of any nation. We're citizens of heaven kind of thing. Is it bad for someone to really love their country and want the best for their country and to want to influence their government and nation's leaders to move towards the principles taught by Christ?
1: Yeah, those are valid and important questions, Pat, and and we have to remember that government is not man's idea, it's God's idea. Right. Because of sin, man needs to be governed, and so God established in Scripture the idea of government, and so for us to just kind of, as followers of Christ say, well, we're not of this world. You know, our our kingdom is with Christ. That is true, but we are in this world for now, right? Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to be salt and light. And so there is a balance. We do need to, someone has said, have one eye cocked toward heaven and, and one eye focused here on earth. But the reality is that all creation is good, where we have been placed In the sovereign hand of God is good. It's right. It's where He wants us, right? No matter what country we're in, there should be a certain love of country. Now, that doesn't mean we love everything our country does and every Mm -hmm. law that it has. But because God has placed us there, again, there should be this sense that I have a purpose by God for being where I am at this moment in time, and He's called me to be. Salt and light, and I need to do the best job that I can. And that includes being involved to the extent that I'm allowed based on the way the government is set up where I'm at with the system. You quoted from Romans 13, you know, we're supposed to be in submission to our governmental officials. It goes on to say that they're appointed by God. They're ministers,
0: literally servants
1: of God. Now, doesn't mean they're always doing what they're supposed to do as servants of God, but that's the basic idea. We're told to pay our taxes in that same passage. You know, you've got passages like Proverbs fourteen thirty four that says righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Well, what does that mean? That means that as people who claim to know God and claim to follow Christ, we're to be pushing for righteousness or rightness because we desire to see God's blessing, not just on us, but the people around us, the people that we call fellow citizens.
2: Yeah, and I think you teach a good balance there. You know, there's two extremes. I worked with a pastor who didn't vote, thought anything mm-hmm. having to do with government was unspiritual, never yeah. touched any of those issues, and didn't even vote, Encourage people not to vote. And then, on the mm-hmm. other hand, mm-hmm. I've seen other extremes where, Christians are very political and thinking, you know, government is the answer. And so we Mm -hmm. want to avoid those two extremes. So you as a pastor, you know, tell us how in your church you try to keep that balance.
1: We touch on things certainly that some people would call political. For instance, after the Dobbs ruling on abortion, we were in a series, but we took that Sunday, and we talk specifically about what this meant and why this was important and where we as believers should stand on it. And so we zero in on that, not because it is primarily political, but because it's a moral issue, it's a biblical issue that politics touches on. We also, for instance, you know, we're a little over a month away from an election, we will make available to folks in our church voters' guides. We're not telling people who to vote, but we want them to know where candidates stand on particular issues. And most of those issues are gonna touch on some of these moral aspects. And so we want them to be informed and we encourage our folks to vote. Look, this is an opportunity for you to legally and peacefully state your views by voting for a particular individual and so we encourage that we don't endorse uh, individuals officially as a church or anything like that but we will address those types of things and encourage our folks to be involved we've not had anybody run for office but you know we would encourage folks to get involved that way if they feel like God's calling them to that i mean again I, i'm not really sure how you can have that kind of mentality that we're to pull totally out of it you got guys like daniel in the old testament He didn't have a choice. He got thrown into government. And look at the amazing impact that he made as someone who submitted to that and said, okay, this is where God's put me and called me to, this foreign government, and I'm going to do the best job that I can.
2: Yes, you've been listening to our interview on Christian nationalism with Pastor Dr. Randy Manley, Senior Pastor of Molokai Baptist Church. So if you want to listen to this interview again in more detail or more information on what is Christian nationalism, I encourage you to go to evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Well, Randy, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. We look forward to having you again here on our show.
1: Thanks so much, Pat. It's been great being with you.
0: That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series if you would like pat to speak at your church bible study or schedule an apologetics conference at your location give him a call in hawaii that number is 483-0586 or you may contact him through the evidence and answers website that's evidenceandanswers.org be sure to use our search engine for available resources we have everything from atheism to zen buddhism including articles and additional audio, free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church.